HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio. It's 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. I'm calling in from Hardwick, Vermont, where I'm attending the Rural Heritage Institute. I'm hosting a roundtable on young farmers um, in this area, and tonight we're having a great young farmers mixer in downtown Hardwick. If you're in Vermont listening into the radio, we hope you'll join us from 6 until 8 at the Center for an Agricultural Economy, and then it's raining, but I think we have a bonfire anyway. Um, at High Mowing Seeds. So I'm really pleased today to be joined um, by a young farmer in Arkansas, um, Laughingstock Farmer. Uh, are you there? I am. I'm here. Hi there. How you doing? Hi, Severin. Doing very good. Good. Good to hear it. And tell me, has it been raining as much down there as it has been raining up here? Uh... I wish I could get a drop of rain. I haven't seen rain in 14 days, and it's 98 degrees. Humidity is about 93%. And uh, I'm officially about into being a drought within the next week. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's all right. In the South, we are very used to it. <laughs> well, let's get started. And um, Let's start out with you introducing yourself and your farm and, and, and where you, where, who are you in, in, in the Young Farmer Movement? Okay. Well, I am, uh, my name is Josh Harden. Um, I am a fifth generation of farmers here in southeast Arkansas, a region we call the Delta, pretty flat kind of floodplains, um, alluvial of the Arkansas River, um, which is within about a mile of our farm. Um, we have about 2,000 acres of, of conventional cropland here. We farm, you know, um, soybeans and rice and, you know, a lot of the bigger crops. But we also, for about the last 20 years, have done um, uh, vegetables and fruits and um, direct marketing and, and some wholesale to um, some bigger bigger companies in, in the city in Little Rock, which is about an hour from the farm. And um, we have, in the last decade, you know, tried to focus on, more sustainable production and trying to go small scale and direct market into fa- local farmers markets and um, trying to cut the chemicals and a lot of the things that um, that have kind of I guess brought the, the the smaller farmers out of the picture we think um, and turn them into big farmers so we're kind of on the line there with 2,000 acres we are a tiny farm to most people that would probably seem like a very large farm but um, in, in the south we are probably one of the smallest farmers um, in the area um, with, with 2,000 acres. So let's, let's put that into perspective. Um, 
look out over the landscape around you. I don't know if you've got a window that you can look at right now, but tell me, tell me what's growing around there and, and, and what kind of lasers and machinery is being used to uh, grow it. <laughs> well, um, so what's growing right now on my, my farm is, um, you know, lots of, I'm picking blackberries today and um, picking lots of squash and okra and eggplant and beans and peas and, um, and that type of stuff. And, and my neighbors, almost 360 degrees around me is um, lots of soybeans is a big deal, right? this time of year, and grain corn is on the other side of me. You know, it's probably about 12 foot tall by now. And, uh, well, and um, you know, there's not a human in sight. You know, it's like you may see a man on a tractor pass through, um, you know, once a week to, to spray, or you have a plane flying overhead to drop some unknown substance onto that field. And um, not a lot of human interaction. I'm one of the few humans that is uh, on the ground um, Constantly, me and my guys, we're we're in the field every day. You know, we're walking, we're on foot, no tractor. You know, I mow with a tractor, you know, about once a week, and that's it. Everything else is done by hand, and, and we're checking everything over, you know, and really doing all the work by hand um, on my, I've got about six acres, you know. And, uh, so everything it, sounds like, it sounds like you've been radicalized, um, and you have a very strong sense of the way that the land ought to be. Uh, nurtured and taken care of, and tell me where where did that where did that happen? Well, I think a lot of that has come from the spirit of my grandparents, who um, you know, who it was just necessity. They were all organic farmers. They didn't know that it was organic farming. They just did it because you know they had mules and plows, and and they were doing they were doing what they could to survive because that's how you did it. You didn't have, when they, when they saw the first tractors and these things, it became, you know, something they, they dreamed about and longed for because they had been slaving over a mule and, and doing things just the only way they knew how for so many years. And I think some strange, ironic way that has all um, come full circle. And now we realize that maybe the things that we longed for, for a tractor and for the fertilizers and uh that maybe wasn't as good as it seemed, as, as often as things are in life that seem too good to be true. Well, often it seems that the too good to be true agronomy of Roundup and, and no-till, which does seem to be quite convenient to many, um, has a problem that it, it tends to poison the, the earth and the planet and, and the potential of the soil to yield, um, to yield good food. So it does... It does seem like a funny situation to be in that we now have the choice to use technology for good and to use technology that our grandparents didn't have access to, but to still um, care for um, the basic foundation of our of our of our civilization. Tell me about some of the fun tools you have on your farm that you like to use. Fun tools, um, <laughs> flamethrowers. Are, are always fun. I've got several different backpack flamethrowers and four-wheeler mounted flamethrowers. Um, hold always. on now, hold on. People don't know what flamethrowers are. you got to explain that. Okay, right. Like just um, basically propane torches um, used, I, I call them, you know, it's like, like a, a mechanical roundup, really. Um, and uh, I guess they're just, the, the backpack is just a mounted tank on your back. Um, you're kind of like a... Um, I don't know, I guess compare it to, like, the Army guys, but it's a more direct, smaller flame that you can really spot weed and, and go through. And um, 
weed pretty close to plants without injuring them once they're grown up, you know, and it's just a great way of um, decreasing the amount of work it takes to weed on, on a bigger, bigger scale. And you can kill gophers with those things. Yeah, well, I wish we don't have gophers. Uh, we have a few moles every now and then, but they're not really a problem. I don't really have anything underground, but uh, but I've definitely heard of that. That is a, a well, solution. count your lucky stars. Up in Vermont, they don't have any poison ivy. I'm thinking about relocating. <laughs> and, and no mosquitoes, I'm sure either. That's our good friend down here. And, yeah, and no, wow. they have mosquitoes, but no ticks. Yeah, well, that's, that's... great too. <laughs> Um, so vaporizing weeds is always a great pastime. I have to um, I have to call a station break because we are ten minutes into our show, and this is Severin. It's Greenhorns Radio. It is our four o'clock every Thursday. It's sponsored by Hearst Family Ranch, which is a grass-fed ranch out in California, raising delicious beef products for your table and mine. Um, we're going to take a little musical break and then come back and talk some more to Josh. Me and my uncle went riding down South Colorado, West Texas bound We stopped over in Santa Fe That down the water, just about halfway And you know it was the hottest part of the day Well I took the horses, got to the stall Went to the bar room Ordered drinks for all Three days in the saddle Till you know my body hurt It's been summer I took off my shirt This is Greenhorns Radio and this is your host, Severin Von Charner Fleming, director of the Greenhorns Film Project and various other young farmer events and activities and cultural enlivenments of many kinds. You can check us out on our website, www.thegreenhorns.net and our blog, www.thegreenhorns.wordpress.com. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, an event tonight in Hardwick, Vermont, uh, which is a mixer for young farmers. Then on Saturday night in Brooklyn, on the corner of Sackett Street and Henry, we've got a goat spit, bicycle-powered rotisserie, mixer. Um, you can read lots more about it, and we think it's probably going to be a riot because it's gotten way too much press. But sneak on over and see if you can't join the fun. Um, I'm joined today on the radio by Josh Harden in Arkansas. Josh, are you still there? I am. Woohoo! So let's 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 back up a little bit and talk about um, your family's history in that region and 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 what were your grandparents exactly growing and and how has the region changed? What's your understanding of that? Okay. Well, predominantly, you know, I mean, in in that time in the early 1900s. Um, which was the third generation of, of Hardens, um, you know, everything, most everything that was grown was for, for in-house, you know, and for your neighbors, and you weren't really exporting, you know, you couldn't really export much. You know, lumber was about the only thing that you could export. Yeah. Oh, sorry. We had a um, sawmill, you know, on the farm here, um, and we did, we did export some... Um, some lumber. Everything else was was grown and raised and kept in house or shared with neighbors. You know, and typically um, that was sorghum and that was um, kind of the, the most of the same vegetables that we still grow today were, were grown then. Um, Let's talk about sorghum. Earlier. People don't know about sorghums. We better explain that. 
Okay, yeah, sorghum was um, sorghum was a pretty easy crop to grow. It's actually not grown at all now, but it's a cane um, that was grown and then threshed and made into sugar, made into molasses, and it was like pretty much a fundamental part of society back then was your sugar. You know, I mean, we didn't. It was starting to be imported from China and from from other um, regions, but but pretty much that was one of the biggest parts of the, the agriculture community was, was your sugar, you know, and your syrups. And those were the things that, that made life better, you know. I mean, it, you didn't have a whole lot to look forward to, so sugar was a, a pretty big deal. Then. I still uh, feel that way. I just had a I was going to say, you know, I still think even now it is. We just don't, we don't really see it as that because it's in everything now, you know. We didn't ha- it's not as exciting because uh, it kind of already comes pre, prefabricated. Yeah. Well, let's let's explain. Like, do you know anything about the quality of sorghum? I mean, I I heard it has a lot of vitamins in it, but I don't exactly know very much. Right. I think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about the exact um, makeup, you know. But I know. I mean, I think in general, food that is grown in every step and process in your local community is rich in everything. You know. I mean, it's just rich in vitamins. It's rich in culture. It's just rich in all the things. You know. You're supporting you know, your own economy through every step, you know, by, by um, consuming something like that. And it's just pure. There's no, there's no motivation to cut it down or to break it. It was just pure sugar, you know, and it was like maybe not the healthiest thing, um, but, but it definitely came with a lot of minerals and, and things like that in it because the soil here is so rich. And even, even now we still have a very rich soil. Yeah, the that's the thing about America, man. We've got a lot of beautiful land. Um, tell me, tell me a little more, because I'm I'm calling you from Hardwick, Vermont, which is another really dynamic agricultural economy. It's lots and lots of entrepreneurship and conspiratorial capitalists working together to, you know, build local equity and support their local food shed. Um, what what is your vision um, moving forward in in the Little Rock area? How do you see things changing and evolving, and and where do you see business opportunities opening up for yourself? Okay. Um... Yeah, you know, really in the last year, I've been doing farmer's markets and um, doing direct marketing for about the last 10 years, um, since I was, I was um, about 15 years old. Um, and I've seen in the last year and just an explosion of local markets happening all over the state, you know, just small community markets and larger urban markets opening up. And um, that's kind of where I've been on the forefront with my, my brother and I both have been, you know, trying to create new markets and places for small farmers to get right out in front um, with the public, you know, and to, to do that in a way that's not, you know, not a traditional market. We're really trying to create certified local markets that are farmer, producer only um, that's markets. That's traditional to me. You mean that there's Farmers markets where people are buying in produce from California and selling it. Right, right, and that's that's become the mainstream in the South. You know, is yeah. that we're on a thoroughfare to Dallas and to Florida, and and um, this produce inevitably those farmers always produce too much, and they always head north to to more robust markets or markets where they haven't flooded yet. You know, and they they produce so much in Dallas and Florida or in Texas and Florida that um. There's no way that their their communities can can consume that food. So it always ends up in in our communities here, and that's that's a big challenge to us because we can't really compete with the price level that and, and the scale that they deal with. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of left 
with a product that's not worth what, what we need to get for it to make a living. You know? so, so they should grow tomatoes and they should grow onions, which they do very well in Florida and, te- and, and Texas for their communities, and they, should, and they should let you grow for your communities. Is that what you're kind of saying? Right, right, exactly. You know, I think modern agriculture has driven farmers to grow more than, than we, can, we can sell, you know, and that's certainly been the case here on our farm, too. You know, we've been guilty of producing more than we should, and that, that forces us to kind of devalue ourselves and our labor and our own time, and just um, it kind of devalues everything about agriculture. It forces us to use cheaper fertilizers and, and you know, just more substandard practices, and it, it kind of forces you to cut every corner you can because your margins are shrinking, because your community will pay a good price, but they can only eat so much, you know. And then once you have to step outside of that bubble, you begin to give away parts of your farm and yourself that maybe you wouldn't have to if you only grew, you know, for your local community. So, so that's it sounds what we're like really there's an issue of scale here and of, um, of, of really thoughtful business planning. It sounds like also that... Um, it's a challenging marketplace for young producers and young entrepreneurs to enter if if the norm in the agricultural economy is um, competing with, let's face it, a lot of legal and semi-legal workers and big, big operations that have already really dialed in their systems and laser um, laser flattened um, their fields. how would you how would you think a new producer could could come into that into that agricultural world? Right, and that's and that's kind of the challenge that that we've taken on here, you know. And that's what these markets are all about is um, is about creating farmers markets that that cater to a small farmer, small to mid sized farmer who is willing to put you know a little more handcrafted into into the markets, you know, a better diversity and a variety, and not just growing a hundred acres of one thing, but really focusing on trying to grow a consistent variety throughout the year and um, and and giving them, you know, and to me, even, even to myself, I've been doing this for a long time, but these new markets are creating a lot of new opportunities for me and for a lot of other new farmers um, who, who maybe didn't think that it was possible. Now they're coming into these markets and seeing, hey, this is an opportunity. Hey, we're able to sell everything we can grow plus some. And, and we're being introduced to other outlets, to restaurants, to chefs, and, and to other businesses who want to support what we're doing, you know. And, and that's motivation to get back to the farm and plant more seeds and to, and to do more of what you're doing, you know. And I think that's ultimately, that's the most sustainable action um, that, that we can hope for. Action. Action, my friends. Right. Action that's is what right. it's called for. Well, I... Um, I just was in Tractor today for an hour and a half talking to a guy up here in Vermont, um, Pete, um, who runs Pete's Greens. He's doing, I don't know, like 45 acres of um, greens on, you know, with big tractors and um, organically. And he started his farm on 2.6 acres. And, you know, all borrowed equipment hacked out of the wilderness. And, you know, we talk about the young farmers and the small farmers. And in, in many, many cases... Young people coming into agriculture are coming in on the small farm side of things and on the vegetable side of things because that's the place where you can get traction with, you know, just your just your physical body and a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment. You can actually yield, you know, twenty to thirty thousand dollars off an acre pretty pretty well if you market directly and you grow high value crops and you sell to people who can afford to buy good food. Um, 
but then you can grow. Then you can grow your business and support um, support organic business growth um, as well, and not necessarily have to take out too many or too onerous of loans. Tell me what your you know kind of five year plan is for growing your business, or or do you not want to grow? Well, you know, I'm 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 really faced with that that challenge every day. You know, I actually went out this year for for a loan through the federal government, and um, I'm so thankful that I, I was not I was not accepted, and it's been the <laughs> best thing that ever happened to me to be turned down because I've realized that I think slow growth is the very best thing that you could ever hope for as as a farmer. Fast growth will always be the death of the small farmer. Um, because it forces you to do a little bit really good as opposed to doing a lot okay, you know, which is kind of where the modern farm is, is kind of stuck in this place where you know there's a lot more you should be doing, but you just don't have time, you don't have labor, you don't have the inclination to really do things well, you know, and I think that's even a challenge for the small farmer. But um, I've been able to um, to kind of just just do a little bit, do it really well, and really focus on my production and how I'm producing and, and um, you know, just a couple of acres and really working hard to make that as intensively productive as, as possible. And um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to grow at all in five years and, um, and really proving to myself and those around me that, um, that a little bit can make a lot, and then we begin to grow from that as we build um, the resources and the equipment and kind of the things that it takes to, to, to do more than just a few acres. Right on. And any animals on your operation? Absolutely, yeah. We've got a, got a big herd here of all different kinds of things, um, chickens and turkeys and donkeys and ducks and cows and pigs and horses and, um, and a miniature horse and a big ragtag group of, um, of uh, ornery animals that, that um, do lots of grazing and that we use them as a pet, kind of our petting zoo um, for our fall time festival um, that happens here on the farm. So we kind of manage them. And they say about the alchemy of gut bacteria of animals, the more animals, the more gut alchemy, the more your fertility is benefited. Yeah, yeah, and they make, it makes wonderful compost, you know, that's kind of what what I've focused on um, with with the animals is uh, trying to make as much of my own fertilizer here as I can. In the past, these animals haven't really produced a lot of profit, but um, all of a sudden, when you start making your own compost, it's just amazing how much money that saves. Yeah, man. What it puts back. Poop is gold. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Compost is an amazing. You can't even if you can buy it for cheaper. It doesn't doesn't um, compare to what you get out of it. Yeah. Well, that's the next business opportunity for so many people. Is municipal scale composting facilities major major um, resource to everyone involved. So tell me what's going on in your your social world. Are there um, are there parties going on in the young farming scene, or is there a, a dearth of um, social engagement on the agricultural front? Well, you know, it's it's there is certainly. I've got definitely a network of of young farmers. Um, most of us are way too busy to ever party a whole lot. Um, we, we get to talk and hang out every now and then, um, but uh, in the winter we get together with SOG. Uh, um, Southern Agriculture, I mean, Sustainable Ag Workers Group, um, and always that's kind of our one time a year to really catch up. But, you know, the, the problem in the South is, um, you know, the average farmer here is, is 60 years old, 50 to 60 years old, um, and, and um, there's nowhere, no one in between. And uh, 
the young farmers who are in my area really don't want to hang out with me because um, I probably smell like poop too much or, or um, I don't want to talk about sitting on a tractor 12 hours a day. And um, There are a lot of big cultural divides for a small farmer like myself and large-scale um, young farmer. There's, there's a really big difference here, so we don't, we don't hang out a lot together, surprisingly enough. So, so I have this new theory that um, all these sustainable ag chicks that live in cities, a lot of them live in cities or, you know, they're interning on farms, a lot of them, but there's just like oodles of dozens of millions of girls who are, you know, saucy, mingsy, and really good at marketing, potentially. <laughs> and then there's all these, like, single farmers out, you know, farming corn for, you know, $200 an acre. And I feel like there's a potential matchmaking um, where, you know, all these girls could marry onto some really nice land and figure out how to reclaim that land from industrial ag, you know, one one wedding at a time. What, what do you think? <laughs> I think there is, um, on, I saw on Dateline, there is a um, farmer matchmaking site um, out there that does just this. Um, haven't given it a try because I'm, I'm with someone who's, who's amazing and um, yeah, but, but it's I know real. there's, there's a it's, um, just in, of, in case our listeners are interested, there's um, four young farmers. Oh, sorry, for farmers only. That's it. That's it. Com. You got it. Yeah. And then there's Beginning Farmers, um, which is a Ning site, and it's hosted by a pretty conventional ag. Um, you'll have to go on our blog, www.thegreenhorns.wordpress.com, to get the link, but it's a Beginning Farmer Ning site where it's like social networking. And I've noticed that there's some romance going on there. Anyway, I, I got a little off topic. I apologize. No, that's great, though. There, there are so many of us. You know, we just don't have time to to do that. You know, and that's if you're if you're a farmer, if you're a young farmer trying to make it, then you really the truth is you really don't have time to do anything else but farm. You know, if you're really serious about being successful, you know, you you really got to have somebody before you start out into this, or hope you just get lucky enough to meet someone uh, along the way. Yeah, it's a real it's a real challenge to to be to be dialed into your operation and then also meet all the expectations of the marketplace and the community and all these people who really want to engage, you know, with the, with the, with your farm. Right. There's a lot of demands on a young farmer's time. So which which brings us to a point, which is um it seems like if you are a listener of this show or in in general, wanting to get more involved in sustainable agriculture or support, you know, quote-unquote support sustainable agriculture, it does seem like there's plenty of opportunities to go um, get friendly with a young farmer and help them with their taxes or their marketing or their website. Um, Josh, would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. I I reach out constantly for for all of those things. You know, you don't have to be a farmer or farming-minded. You know, we have lots of volunteers who are in the city who who do various things and um, who help us and play valuable roles in the farm and and they never never have to come to the farm it's only a, a leisure that they come to the farm but they're still a big part of what what we do and how we get our food from the country into the city onto a table you know, and do it right right on well I I really enjoyed talking to you I hope I get to meet you in person someday soon. And I, um, I wonder if you have any, like, websites or things that you need to call out, like, particular links, your Farmers Market Association maybe, or SOG, or yeah. tell, me, tell us some things that we need to go look up. 
Sure. Um, our, our main site that I kind of use in our blog um, is ArkansasFood.net, um, and that kind of tells a lot about our CSA and our, our certified um, Arkansas farmers markets and um, a lot of information about what kind of crops we have and, and how they're grown and about a lot of different farmers. Um, we also are very excited. This has been our first year to do Internet farmers markets, um, and it has just been a huge boom to our to my business as a small farmer and to a lot of other farmers we do it's kind of like having a whole nother market day every week that you don't actually physically have to be there you know we sell a lot of, of food through the internet now and that's been so exciting to me to be able to do that and, um, and that is locally grown.net and i'm sure this is kind of happening this same software is being used across the country and, um, and that's always something to look up for your own area and you can look it up here in Arkansas and see what we're doing as well through the locallygrown.net site. And I'm not yeah, man, farm to fork for the Craigslist generation, locallygrown.net, developed by a really nice guy down in Georgia who I met who's really generously programmed. Another, another opportunity for people who have HTML skills. You know, we need, we need more farmer-specific widgets, guys. Help us make more cool tools for farmers to use so that we can um, be more effective nurturers of the soil. Um, well, it's really awesome to talk to you. I want to thank our sponsors once again, Hearst Family Ranch out in California for raising pastured beef products. Um, delicious, nutritious bovines. Um, this is a wonderful thing to talk to you, and uh, we should organize a party down there. Come on. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Yes, Bye, thank folks. you, Severin. All bye. right, bye-bye.